0: This is the perfect podcast for the new year. Tim and Chris Halbum reveal the four essential coaching questions every coach must ask the clients during a coaching session and it's perfect information for creating new year's resolutions that actually can get accomplished. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams so sit back and relax or sit up and get excited either way you might want to pay attention this could be important So welcome, Tim and Chris. So good,
1: good to have you here. Thank you. And thank you for putting this fundraiser together for Jerry CV. Yeah,
0: well, you know, it's again, it's what we we do what we can do. And this is so great to have you guys and other greats of the NLP world contributing to, to making this happen. So um, just by way of introduction, um, I've actually never met either of you before. So it's really a thrill for me to be meeting you face to face. I feel like I've known you because I've watched you on videos and read your books and stuff like that over the years, but I've never actually met you. So, hello. Well, <laughs> hello.
1: It's and the
0: first time for us, too. Yeah, obviously.
1: we both have heard really good things about you. And, uh, you know, you've got some good websites out there on hypnosis. And so it is nice to
0: officially meet in this Zoom format amazing thing isn't it the zoom format it's what can you imagine what would have happened with COVID if it had taken place in 1990 or something
1: yeah
0: yeah or 85 or 70 or before mass communication but yeah it's a lifesaver this thing it's quite remarkable so tell me a little bit about you guys how long have you been let's start let's start with you tim because um age before beauty um you've been around longer i should suspect than chris in the nlp world is that it's fair to say? Uh, uh, you might
2: say that. I I discovered, I found out about NLP in about 1978. Okay. Um, Susie Smith, who I've worked with, still work with sometimes for many years, and I were uh, working together doing a training for a group of health faculty, and a woman came up to me uh, with a sheath of papers, and she said, you're visual, and I said, how do you know that? And she said, said well look and she gave me something i was really intrigued with it i said how do you know i'm visual and she said well you keep looking up and she gave me some papers i still have them on my shelf but they're an unpublished manuscript by robert delts called nlp volume one ah. and uh, inside you know they had the little happy face chart and i got really intrigued with it began to explore it i did it with susie a lot and it didn't work but i saw a pattern she was, re- turns out later, she was one of the very few people that's reversed. Oh, okay. And uh, so I've been involved with NLP pretty much my whole career. Um, I've done a lot of work with health and health issues, uh, as well as coaching and working with uh, how to work with beliefs and how we create our reality. So the, those are the kind of areas I've specialized in. Along with Chris, I uh, co-founded NLP Institute of California, NLP coaching and training institute in California, Mm. where we for many years did practitioners, master practitioners, hypnosis, et cetera. And uh, about four years ago, kind of turned it over to a colleague of ours, Robert Harrison, who's directing it now, we still work with him.
1: And um, like Tim, I've been involved with NLP my entire adult career. I found out about it in 1987. I was getting uh, my university degree in psychology and Mm -hmm. language. So when I found out about neuro-linguistic programming, I mean, the first time I heard those words, Doug, literally, I felt like I had been struck by a bolt. Of lightning. And I honestly, well, you know, neuro-linguistic programming, and I was majoring in psychology and language and journalism. And so um, it just, I I often think it was maybe the future calling me. So in 88, I met uh, Tim and Susie Smith, and I started working with them. And Tim and I have been, I think we're on our 35th year of working together now. And um, I became a a trainer in the late 1990s. And, uh, you know, I had the good fortune to be able to train um, all over the world. And uh, I have an active coaching practice. And just my mission is to really help make the world a better place. And to help people become the best versions of themselves, and I think that's about all I'll say about me. <laughs>
0: okay, well, th- I, I appreciate your reticence, but that's um, we could talk for hours, I'm sure, about you. What um, what do you know about Mary Lou and Jerry Seavey? The the people who are coming to this, I'm sure, are aware that we're raising funds for Jerry because he's had some, just say, medical issues that aren't covered by insurance. So we're doing what we can to raise their some money for them do you do you know them personally
2: oh yeah back in the year 2000 chris and i developed a program called it was originally called the money clinic and it was on how to work with limiting beliefs about prosperity and abundance in your life and later we changed it to the wealthy mind but after the first year or so we had a lot of requests for people to who wanted to train it Mm -hmm. and so we offered a trainer's training And one of the very first people to come through in the very first group was Mary Lou Seavey. All right. So Mary came through and has has been teaching the money clinic ever since. And I think she, after we took it to Europe, she went to Europe with it and trained it in Europe. was our,
1: one of our, was our very first trainer to take it to Europe. And, um, I know she's taught it in other countries as, as well. And, And we stayed in touch with her and then, uh, Tim and I um, had uh, a coach program, a 20-day coach program that we were doing through our institute, the NLP Coaching Institute of, of California, and we started uh, taking it to different places. So in addition to teaching this 20-day program in California, we were offering it in uh, you know, China and Mexico and all over the U.S. And anyway, so Jerry and Mary Lou sponsored that program
2: in Boston. In
1: Boston. Oh. And then we, we got to know them even all the more better uh, with that. And now, as you know, they they've are very much uh, active in the world of, of NLP and coaching and have been doing uh,
0: their own coaching program. And apparently they
2: do a lot in Dubai.
0: Yes, exactly. You know, it's interesting. You know, I used to have a, uh, my partnership with Kevin Creedon for a while in New York City, and oh, he and yeah, I Kevin talked... was a good friend of ours too.
2: And I know.
0: yeah, yeah, and we were, we had talked about bringing you guys to New York City to do a that training, the, the Wealthy Mind training in New York City. Never, huh. never quite materialized. So I, I might have met you years ago if that had happened. But yeah, yeah
2: well, we finally got to connect.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly. I'm glad we're connecting. And I'm also glad that we can be a part of this fundraiser for Jerry and Mary Lou, because they're both really good people. They've done a lot for the field of NLP and, and coaching. And so my, my hope and desire and wish, and I know for Tim as well, is that we can do some good here to help Jerry expedite his healing process and
0: well, the good news, it does seem like he's responding well to the therapy. The bad news, of course, is that it's very expensive to do that. And they're you know tapping into the retirement funds, et cetera. So you know, I, the best I can do you know, with, with my resources available to me is to help to fund their GoFundMe campaign. So we'll see what we can do for that. Hey, okay. so question for you. Um, when I first learned NLP, which was in the 80s, um, people did therapies with NLP, we we called ourselves NLP therapists. And somewhere along the line, I I took a coaching training from this guy named Thomas Leonard. And I thought, well, this is weird coaching. Nobody does this. This will never catch on. Um, (laughs) but, But somewhere along the line, it seemed to switch. And now pretty much everybody does coaching in some form or fashion. And you guys have both are, are coaches, are you, is that correct? Is that- yeah,
1: I, I started my first practice uh, in 1996 called, it was uh, PCC, Professional Coaching and Consulting LLC, and that was in 1996, so I've been actively doing it for a long time, as has Tim.
2: Yeah, I, uh, prior to coaching, I was a licensed psychotherapist, so huh. I did the NLP therapy but in about ninety, well, ninety-nine, we moved. We were living in Utah. We moved to California, mm-hmm. and I decided to drop off the psychotherapy part and do more coaching because it's uh, you have a lot more latitude and freedom, uh, particularly in California, because there's there's certain laws that give you permission to do pretty much anything you need to do to help somebody as long as they sign a disclaimer with an understanding of your training, your background, and, and that you won't do any kind of medical practice. So that's when when I dropped mine off. We uh, And then we created our coach training program. We were actually uh, proud to say the first NLP Institute in the North America to be ICF approved. That's and the in second
1: that, in the world.
2: Okay. The, that was the International Coach Federation. Yeah. And so we've always had their their approval but I think coaching is a coaching is a really incredibly valuable thing to do. And I, with NLP we've always been solution focused. We're moving right. towards towards some positive outcome versus trying to look at problems and deal with problems. So coaching yeah. I think NLP was sort of built for coaching.
0: Yeah it does seem
2: that way to me. And one way to, to add to that is I when people say well is NLP, how is NLP different than coaching? I would think of NLP as being like an operating system on a computer. Like you have the Mac OS, mm-hmm. and then you have applications. One could be coaching, one could be training, one could be you know, presenting to big groups, one could be hypnotherapy, business, one, health, et cetera. Yes,
0: so. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And you guys have a book about coaching, right? Powerful questions and techniques oh. for coaches.
1: Yeah, so so we have this book called Powerful Questions and Techniques for coaches and and therapists.
0: Let me me spotlight you. Hold that up. Let me spotlight you. Let me pin you there. There we go. Nice. Lovely book. uh,
1: Thank you. We we co-authored it with Nick LaForce. It gets pretty good reviews on Amazon. And the book is that. It covers different, powerful questions and techniques for coaches and therapists. And uh, I think that even some of these questions and techniques could be used in a business context with business leaders mm-hmm. or managers or anybody that leads teams or even teachers or parents for that matter. Great. So
2: it's different change processes and um, how to use meta programs with in a coaching environment, or with people that you're coaching. In addition, and, and in addition to a lot of other processes,
0: questions, and right. things like that. Um, I'm I'm getting this intuition that you might have be pet lovers.
1: <laughs> yeah. Can you Jake, hear that? come here. Come here, Jake. Since,
0: uh, I remarkably Jake. attuned sensory acuity. There, um, notice. Yeah.
1: This is this is our um, our
0: dog. Jake. Oh, it's a the dog? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So say say hi. It's not his first time. He's been in
0: front of a Zoom camera. So oh, he's adorable. What kind of dog is he? He's a golden doodle. My my sister has a golden doodle. She's also in California, by the way. Maybe it's a California state dog or something. The Golden State. Could be. Yeah, you never know. So um. So. Yeah. Coaching questions, powerful questions. Could you tell us more about that? And and I think actually, were you planning on doing, teaching us something about that? Yeah.
2: As Chris mentioned, we've taught coaching. We've had the good fortune to teach coaching processes all over the world. And um, one of the things that comes from NLP that's incredibly valuable is how to get a really well-formed goal. And even in people that have been through i think high quality training with really good people good instructors don't always get a really well formed goal that that's going to make sense we think it's an assen- essential part of of good coaching mm.
1: and my sense is is that a lot of coaches out there nlp coaches don't really uh, use this uh, well-formed conditions. I've talked to a lot of, of them, and they say that they don't use it. And so because of this and the ICF accredited coach trainings that, that we do, we've got five different ones uh, that we do that have been accredited with the International Coach Federation. And we uh, really drill these questions into all of the participants' heads and just highlight the importance of them because it makes all the difference in terms of having a high quality session with a, a client and, wow. and 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 these questions are something that virtually every single coach session that Tim and I do. We ask our clients or we'll start with these questions. It's a foundation.
0: Let me just say as a, as a as a frame to this. I'm very excited to have you teach this because um, I, you know, whenever I do or whenever I teach, honestly, whenever I teach the the, the allergy cure, I I queue up <coughs> the dog. <laughs> I cue up the Tim's it's videos. the door. On, the door. Yeah. <laughs> Tim's videos on doing the allergy cure because it's so clear. You know what steps you do, how you do it, and the outcome is pretty. You know standardized you know you get you get a good outcome when you follow those steps i yeah. I've taken nlp from a variety of different sources when i started taking it from tony robbins i realized he wasn't the only guy in the in the field um i didn't know that at first i thought he was mr nlp but then I, after i took it i said well i need to find out other people too i took richard bandler's trainings i took robert Dilts's trainings i kind of took it from anybody who taught it and i got different ways of doing this outcome frames people had different ways you know five five keys to well-formed outcome seven keys to the well-formed outcome so i'm actually thrilled as basic as it might seem to somebody for me i've been around for 35 years doing nlp but i'm still thrilled to have you tell me what's the right way to do this what is what's the right well, way?
2: We're, we'll tell you a way to do it that we teach in coaching oh i don't want
0: oh, i want the way i want the 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 right way <laughs>
1: It's the way we do virtually all our do. sessions, and we teach in all our ICF-accredited okay. coach programs. Oh,
0: that, that's good. That, that's
2: good. It's the right way for us. There you go. <laughs> but it's the same thing I'd do if I were doing some kind of therapeutic intervention or a trauma process or right. whatever. Um, and again, one of the reasons we thought we'd teach it, I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been in many countries teaching advanced trainings, and I'll. I'll tell people, get make sure you get a well-formed outcome first, and then I go around and they're not necessarily doing it. Right, And, I'm, and it, that, a lot of people go, oh yeah, it seems like I learned that at some point, but it didn't go in as a necessary part of right. everything else that they're doing. And for us, it'd be a requirement. If you're gonna do any kind of NLP pattern with somebody, it's really imperative to find out where they are now, where they wanna be, contrast present state, desired state. And uh, that lets you know actually what to do and what to do in, a, uh, in an ecological and appropriate way. So we like to just go over these and, and uh, remind people and maybe for some people listening, it'll be new material or material they hadn't heard quite this way.
0: Great.
1: So the, the, the first question, and again, this is how we uh, started all our coach Sessions and it, it's kind of an obvious one. Um, it's what do you want, mm. and it, it seems so obvious, but it, it's really not. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, several years ago, uh, we were doing our coach training in uh, in in overseas in another country, and uh, there was a participant that came up who said. I'm wondering, could you give me some advice on how to deal with a client? I've been working with her for six months. She's got all these relationship problems. She's not getting anywhere in, in her work, you know, the work that we're doing together. And I just, I, I'm stuck. So what would be your advice? And I I looked at this person and I I said, well, well, what does your client want? And the the coach's face turned completely red. And she said, oh, my God, I've never asked that. All I've been doing is focusing on the problems Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and doing different techniques and processes to deal with the problems. But I've never actually asked her, what does she want, you know, in this relationship? What does she want for her herself? You know, what's what's her bigger outcome here? She had never asked her that.
2: One thing about a problem. The problem isn't a problem until it's different than the desired state. So we all have a lot of present states that are fine, right? Right. I mean, we're all dressed, and that's appropriate for what we're doing right now. So it's not a problem. might be a problem if we were dressed in some inappropriate way for what we're trying to accomplish. But then what we're always doing is identifying what do you want, but how contrasting with where we are now, what's the gap? And then you can use NLP uh, resources to help close that gap. One little formula for doing NLP that uh, Robert Diltz and I talked about over the years is: NL, uh is present state plus resources equals desired state. And so, if you don't have both of those, it's hard to really n- even define the pro- the problem appropriately. Um, of course, when when you know once you know what you want, it needs to be stated in the positive, not what you don't want. And so often, you know, clients will start with what they don't want. And often what they don't want will be the primary motivator. But um, if your brain can't make a picture of where you're headed, you're not going to have a clear idea of what to do. For example, if somebody, said, uh, somebody comes up and they tell you not to do something, it tells you you're doing something wrong. And if you check what inner images somebody's making, it's a picture of themselves doing something wrong, but it doesn't tell them what to do next. So, um, you know, if I suddenly said to whoever's sitting here watching this, you can't sit there. And if they, say, had the authority to say that, notice they know that what they're doing isn't maybe what they're supposed to be doing, but it's, they don't know where to go. They go over there. And I go, no, no, not over there. No, no. But if I say, you know, please don't sit here. That chair's broken. Please sit in this one. Then they have a direction to move in. And then whatever we need to do to get them into that other chair would be the journey there. So, and with
1: your hypnosis background, you you know you, that already. You, you know that. So you want to. So you want to ask the question. What do you want? You want to make sure that it is stated in the positive. It's a positive outcome. It's not what the person doesn't want. It's what they do want. And then um, you want to make sure that what they want, the goal can be initiated and controlled by the person. So if somebody says, well, um, what I want is I want my boss to quit being a jerk. Well, you know, you can't really control what the boss is doing or how the boss is being. You can only control how you deal and think and perceive how the boss is being. Or
2: how you might elicit new responses from the boss in some way. But so first of all, it needs to be in your control. You need to be able to initiate, initiate it. It needs to be in a forward direction so you can make an image of where you're headed. Secondly, it needs to be contextualized. And uh, I was trained. I, I was asked to train a group of therapists at a psychiatric hospital a few years ago And I was surprised that we spent a lot of time talking about context and they hadn't really thought about it. But me, but our behavior doesn't have a meaning without a context. So if if I say, if you say, what do you want, Tim? And I say, well, Doug, I want to be a better communicator. And you go, okay, well, that sounds good to a certain extent, right? But you don't know where, when, and with whom I want to communicate better. So you can say, well, that sounds positive. But where, when, and with whom do you want to do that? And if you can put me in a specific context, then I can make specific images about it and make sure it's chunked down in an appropriate way so I can actually uh, hone my experience to make it happen. So contextualizing it appropriately is a really, I think, critical skill too.
1: So the the first question is, what do you want? Second question is, where, when, and with whom? Do you want it, and then that begins to contextualize it.
2: The third one is evidence. How do you know you're you're achieving it or moving towards achieving it? In other words, it needs to be sensory based. What will you see to let you know you've achieved it? What do you hear? What do you experience in your body? and uh, that's people don't always get the power in doing that when uh, Robert Diltz and Susie Smith and I in our advanced health programs at one point with our students modeled about 24 examples of healing and 2400 20 sorry 2400 examples of healing that's a better number
1: <laughs> add two zeros uh, yeah, add
2: a couple of zero, but anyway the uh, what we discovered in virtually every case people who healed had made some kind of a representation of having healed so you model out what they're doing and you'll hear things like, well, as soon as I get over this, I'm going to start hiking again. As soon as I get through this issue, I want to do some traveling. As soon as I get beyond this, I'm going to start my work life again. And so, you know, in order to say those things, they need to project themselves out beyond the period of time of the illness and put themselves in that future time. And... Uh, by doing that, it's really telling your brain where you're wanting to head. It's, uh, or your I should say, not just your brain, your bigger mind, and maybe the field mind. Uh, you'll find that idea is in a lot of different places, philosophies, prayers. You know, a lot of prayers are prayers about thank you. And if, if you say thank you, what's presupposed? That you've got it already, right?
0: Yeah.
2: There's a fellow named Greg Braden. Probably many of your people that are watching this know who he is. But he he wrote a, a book on um, on the power of prayer at one point, point. and he said he went with a Native American who seemed to have a lot of personal power. And they went to this special place because it's been dry for a long time, and the guy was going to do a prayer and a ceremony, and uh, allowed him to go watch. And he went. They walked for a long time. They found this special sacred kind of place. And the, uh, the gentleman, the Native American, looked at the sky and got into kind of a reverent state and said, thank you. And then he turned around and he left. <laughs> and uh, Greg Baden was kind of interested in that. And he said, well, I'm assuming it's already happened. That decision was made. I'm just acknowledging it. Nice, that's beautiful. Uh, that, that was kind of very powerful. And it's this... Is along those same lines. It's not necessarily yeah. spiritual, but what it does is it takes you to a place where you experience the outcome of it. And the more clear you are about the sensory based evidence for achieving it, the better it's going to be. So, sensory, so,
0: meaning what will you see, what will you hear, what will you feel? You know, it's how we you know experience? it in your five senses. So, you yeah. want to
1: wanna paint a, a, a full picture for the person go ahead you were going to say something i just
0: have a question the you mentioned uh, the self-initiated and maintained aspect is that a separate step or is that part of number one or
1: that, that's part of number one and actually i have an article um on on my website that that highlights these at chris hallbaum.com and i'll send you the the link to that um, but the 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 first question is what do you want, and then there's two aspects to that, which is that you want to make sure it's stated in the positive. So, um, for example, if somebody comes in and they they say, um, "Well, I just don't want to be unhappy right. anymore," or "I don't want to be depressed anymore," then that's where you you would ask, "Well, what do you want instead?" Gotcha. To try to, to turn it around. Yeah, so yeah. that's an important question that gets you to turn it around from the negative into the positive. And so then the person will say, oh, well, if I don't want to be depressed, then what I really want, I guess, is, is to be happy and to be at peace. Right. So, so it's what do you want then is, you know, is it um, make sure it's initiated or that it's stated in the positive. Second one, can it be c- controlled and initiated by, the person so you want to make sure that it's a goal that's within the person's control or power that
0: they can actually initiate right um, that's all part of number one so it's like one a one b yeah that's, yeah. yeah
1: that's number one now
0: by the way chris is
2: kind of i was going to bring this up later but the other the other part of a, the goal the the what do you want part needs to be something that's that's chunked down enough so that people can go after it. and the context will help do that mm-hmm. but sometimes people say i want to have peace and that's a worthwhile thing to have as a human being but there seems like something between right now and peace that you might need to do to bring that peace on so sometimes you need to chunk that down to into chunk, smaller parts
1: yeah sometimes you can have these big macro goals and micro goals and they might need to be chunked down. So like if I had a client who said, well, I just want to feel peace, um, then that's again, where it's important to ask, you know, the second question, well, where, when, with whom mm-hmm. do you want to be at, at peace? And they might be like, oh, well, at work, right. uh, I want to be a, at peace during the week when I'm uh, in my team meetings because I get really stressed out. Right. And so now suddenly you've got a, a context that puts that in there.
2: And you can do something about that. You can't just give somebody peace.
1: To backtrack though, with what Tim was saying about chunking down goals, like one of the things I used to do a lot, my, my, you know, the types of people I work with tend to, to shift for years and years though. I And I still do sometimes work with coaches who wanna start coach practices. And so um often that's their goal is to start a, a coach pro practice. That's what they, they want, that's the macro goal. Yep. But then there's a bunch of mini goals that come with that that have to be chunked down, like um one could be getting a website together, or um, you know, maybe they've got a transition out of a job, or I had one client who um you know, had a very high, high-paying job with a, a Fortune 10 company um, that wanted to start a coach practice, and uh, it, it came out when we were doing this chunking down that that he hadn't bothered to tell his wife that he wanted to leave. <laughs> so now suddenly, the 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 goal of starting a coach practice, which is this big macro goal, now chunk down into all these little goals, including one that wasn't so little, which was talking to his wife, because we had to do a whole session just around that. Um, So I'm glad that you brought that up, because there's sometimes, you know, people Mm -hmm. try to take on too big of a goal, and they're not chunking it down. So It it actually
0: reminds me a little bit of when I studied um, modeling with David Gordon. Um, He made a distinction that I had not had before that, you know, to me, it's like when you're modeling someone, you're modeling Erickson or you're modeling Fritz Perls, you're modeling this whole person. And he said, no, no, no. You model an ability that they have and you find out, you know, what specifically do you want to model that they can do and model that ability? That's that's a very different task.
2: Yeah, I, exactly. Somebody was saying, I'd said almost the same thing to somebody, not about David Gordon, but that you know, you need to chunk it down to some task that you can, you could actually do. And they said, well, I just want to model a really good golfer. And uh, it was one of our master practitioners. Uh-huh. But golf has a lot of aspects. A lot of Cutting aspects. Cutting is a different in than and yeah. driving, for example. For sure. Well,
1: even just a drive, there's so many aspects in yeah. terms of the way you position your feet and your knees and your arms and yeah. Yeah. the way you hold your head and where you put the
0: ball. And- but golfing
2: is you know, oh, very more true. than one,
0: more than one skill. Absolutely. And I don't know if I'd want to model, you know, Tiger Woods as a person, but, you know, certainly like to model his golf game or at least aspect. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so I know I keep backtracking, um, but to just keep it clear. So, yeah. so there's, there's, there's four questions. So what do you want? is number one, yep. number and again, make sure it's in the positive. It can be initiated and controlled by you. Um, number two is contextual. Where, when, and with whom do you want to achieve this? Mm-hmm. Number three is um, how will you know when you got it? What's your sensory-based evidence? So as a coach, you would just say to a question, well, what will you see here and feel or be experiencing? Mm-hmm. You know, as you step in and you think about achieving this, what will you see? What will you hear? What will you feel? Oh, well, I'll be in this meeting. I'll see um, the group looking at me. They're nodding to me. They're they're taking notes. Um, I can hear people asking questions. I can hear myself talking. I can hear them clapping afterwards. And what I'll feel or experience is like, yeah, I got this. Right. You know, I, I can do it. So that's a, a real quick example of, of number three, getting sensory-based evidence.
2: Now those first three questions are really about an outcome that somebody has, and a goal actually has two parts. One is, is quantifiable. So if I come up with an outcome, we can measure whether or not I've achieved it. So if, I wanna, if I'm a coach and I want to bring on, I want to have three new clients a month between now and the end of March. Mm-hmm. Well, we can count the clients, you can see what my activities are, and somehow it's going to be a measurable thing. And uh, of course, we have the context, and we could we have evidence for whether I've achieved it. But to make it a, a goal, you need to put the motivation with it as well. In NLP, we have a very powerful process called meta-outcoming, which is the outcome beyond the outcome. It's what you really want. So, if I said you if you so if you asked me at that point, what would having three new clients a month between now and the end of March get for you? Mm. Then I could say, well, it'd get me a full practice, It would get me the level of income that I really want. It would get me a big enough group that I could sustain the practice that I'm wanting. And uh, you could keep asking that meta outcome question, what would that get for you? And you might get into something like, well, it would get me satisfaction in life. It would get me fulfilling a purpose that I think I'm on the planet for. Mm. And so that's going to be the motivation behind it. So to have a real goal, you need the outcome, which is quantifiable, but you also need the quality part of it. The, the thing that will really get you, the, the driver, the motivator.
1: Which leads us to our fourth question, which is what will achieving this goal get for you? What will achieving you know and there's different ways you can ask this you know what will um, being able to uh, give a high quality talk get for you mm-hmm. what will it allow you to do or be or have what will you achieve from this what will be the big gift in it I mean those are all variations of this of the same thing yes but that's basically the 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 fourth thing to ask is to get the motivation, because once you can get the motivation by asking that question or variations of the, the question, what will you get from achieving this goal, then that's going to really allow the person to propel ter- towards their goals. Because now, um, like in the instance of somebody that wants to start a coach practice, their 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 big motivator might really be about making a positive difference in the world and being aligned with their mission and doing what they love to do and helping people and feeling a great sense of deep satisfaction and that's the motivation so it's going to give them that little oomph to which is not really so little but a big oomph to go for it
2: um so that's often the basis for motivation is that meta outcome that goal beyond the goal that you're going after
1: and and it's amazing how easy you can do this i don't think my my dad will mind me sharing this but he's he's 83 and very very healthy uh, really handsome guy looks like he just stepped out of gentleman's quarterly and he's he's very bored you know he was in the health insurance industry and um unfortunately that industry's changed and so anyway long story short he told me that he had a goal that he wanted to start working uh with uh people maybe go to old folks homes i I don't know what they call them with the the right (laughs) (laughs) long long term correct yeah sorry i don't
0: retirement community
1: yeah retirement and cheer people up and so I said, oh, okay. So, so we already had question number one. He had just yeah. told me what he wants. And I said, oh, well, so, you know, when are you gonna do this? You know, where, and, you know, and he'd already said the with whom, but he'd been telling me this for months. And I realized that it, suddenly one day I thought, I'm just gonna conversationally do these questions. So I just said, well, when are you gonna make the call to make this really happen? And so often I love asking clients that, that like want to start a coach practice, or they want to give a talk, you know, or they want to run a marathon. Suddenly, when you ask, when Mm
0: -hmm. are you
1: going to do this? it becomes so real, you know, especially, you know, and so with my dad, I just said, well, when when are you going to, you know, make that call to, and he's like, oh, well, this afternoon (laughs) I'll do it then. And I'm like, well, who are you going to call then? You know, how how many people are you going to uh, call? And, you know, where where are these facilities located? So we had a conversation. And then I'm like, well, I know it sounds like a silly question, but, um, you know, when you think about doing this, what, what will you be seeing and hearing and, and experiencing when you're on the phone? And he said, well, I guess I'll just pick up the phone and I'll call and I'll be talking to somebody and and it will make me feel good. And I said, ah, so now we're on question number four. Ah, make you feel good. Well, so what will helping these people, you know, do for you? What will you get from doing this? What will you achieve from it? What will it really ultimately allow you to do or be or have? And he's like, Well, I'll I'll be feeling useful. I'll be feeling like I'm doing good in the world, like I'm making a difference. So I mean you know, often when we do this in our coaching practices, um, which is every, virtually every session, we start off with these, um, you know, you can, you can take anywhere from five minutes to half hour to go through these. But the, the beauty in going through them is, is then once you get that clear outcome, then the person has something to go for. So even if somebody uh, starts off with like, well, I have difficulty sleeping, Um, you know, a lot of times people will just focus on, you know, the sleep issue. But what's nice is if you say, well, so what you really want is you want to get good sleep, you know, and when do you want to go to bed? And, you know, where will you be sleeping? How long do you want to sleep for? When do you want to wake up? And you just start contextualizing it. And then the person in their brain, if you think of the neuroscience of it, you know, the whole reticular activating system, which is at the base of your skull is the part of you that gets you to focus on goals. And so once you can contextualize a goal and get what a person wants, when and where, what will be your evidence to let you know, then their brain has to start making a picture of it. And then the brain just automatically one consciously go for it and
2: identify what's more important and less important so
1: with the ras that's the part of your brain where if you know you're you're like fantasizing about owning a a a a tesla or a mazda or a nissan or something you know you're like oh you know i really really want um i'm just gonna say it a tesla i know he's not so popular right now but (laughs) but you're like oh i really want that that's like my dream car you know and then suddenly you start seeing them everywhere yes. and that that's the ras
0: that's getting you particular activating system yeah i know I've, I've experienced that i bought a car once long long time ago bought a car that i didn't know existed it was a Datsun 210 not a fancy car but one i could afford tonight but i just didn't know that it existed suddenly i was an owner of one and i started seeing them everywhere they were everywhere. 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 everywhere yeah yeah
1: so um so yeah So you know to 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 reiterate, what do you want? Yep. Make sure it's initiated in the positive, can be controlled by you. Number two, when, where, with whom do you want this? Number three, what is your um, evidence? So your sensory based evidence. So what will you see? What will you hear? What will you be experiencing to let you know that indeed you've actually achieved
0: this goal? And perhaps so even the four. other senses, taste and touch, you know, might be involved depending on the outcome, right?
1: Absolutely, and like the you best adding that.
0: Too, right? So how will you know? Oh yeah, food? yeah. Tasted right. And
1: already watering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and then of course number four, which is the the benefit that helps motivate people, which is what will achieving this goal allow you to do or be or have. what will you achieve from achieving this this goal what good will come out of it for you what will be the big gift in it for you any variation of those questions
0: so this this is fantastic and I appreciate I I now know the right way to ask these questions (laughs) that's good
1: something tells me you may have you already know these
0: questions
1: Um, I have an article on my my website and I can forward the link to you um that's uh called How to Help Your Clients Set Clear and Achievable Goals. That okay.
0: outline. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.